Hello, this is Albert. Just a quick announcement before we start. This is actually the second part of our Sotol chapter in this season. So if you haven't listened to the first part with Sergio and Isaac yet, I would highly recommend to go back uh, one episode in your podcatcher and listen to that one first so you can get to know them a little bit better and then finish with this conversation. Enjoy and thanks for listening. answer Diego's uh, question yes in the past it was the maestros sotoleros are not people that like to be told what to do <laughs> so it was just like bring me all the sotol plants and we're gonna make sotol and that was it on our end as uh, labels we're, we're trying to constantly fight that battle and it's not easy I mean you go and tell an 80 year old that's been doing it for 60 years this way uh, that that he's wrong and that he needs to do things differently it's not a very easy conversation to have I can imagine yes exactly <laughs> I heard you laugh between when you say you don't tell us what to do. So I guess you had some experience. Can you share one of the experience you had? Maybe because it seems this is not an easy topic. The Maestros Sotoleros, they're quite older now. So I mean, it, the industry is growing and new people are getting involved. But people have been doing this for generations. So, you know, they're 70, 75, 80 years old. Uh, actually, the first one that we started with was um, Don Cali Alvarez in Casas Grandes, as Sergio was stating. And, you know, I would ask them uh, certain questions about, hey, what varieties? No, no, that's all BS. Yeah, I'm the one that's going to tell you how to produce Sotol and how to do it. So they're not very open to uh, establishing a protocol, per se, because, right, this is how they evolved. And you, as someone from the city, are not going to tell them that they have been wrong in any sense uh, or fashion. So they're not easy to work with, is, is, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, no, I, I can fully understand, of course. Yeah. Can you tell us something about the distillation process? So I, I guess every maestro has a different one. In Maguey, you have clay, wood, uh, copper. How is this with Sotol? Is it comparable? Is it different? These are the two main stills that you'll find in Chihuahua, the copper still, the traditional copper still. Uh, I really believe it does a lot. The pH of the product really, it, it stabilizes when, when in contact with, with, with copper. That's why uh, you use that. You can find also inox, stainless steel stills, and you can also find the Filipino, Alambique Filipino, which is just a hollow trunk. It has a copper plate on top. You pour spring water on top, cold water, and you get the condensation inside out of uh, another stick. Uh, you get the product. So in other words, you just change the, uh, the Montera, the, the top part of, of the steel, you just switch that for a, for a hollow wooden trunk. That's what you have in the Sierra. So a Filipino steel will give you a very green flavor. If you guys want to try it, uh, it has a very... Oh yeah, let's try it. I was waiting for, for the <laughs> for moment the to, to open the next bottle. <laughs> so this is Sierra, mm. which means high in the mountain. I don't know if you guys have heard of Copper Canyon and all these places on the southern tip of the state southwestern to the state uh it's a very very high altitude place if you think of the grand canyon you can you can stock it three times in, inside uh, these canyons it's a huge place and it's near these mountains where this product is distilled it's, it comes from the city of madera it's a very small town up in the hills the name means uh, wood and that's how their grandparents taught them how to distill so you just hollow a, a large uh, sabino trunk and you get a, a much greener profile i don't know if you can get this on the nose you know 
Sotol is closer uh, a relative to asparagus, to garlic, to onions mm -hmm. than it is to agave. So it's a, a different species, right? Uh, you're, you're talking about uh, agavasia, you're talking about a nolinasia, which is another uh, genre. The flavor, it can remind you even to asparagus or, or something very green, even pine needles. I get a bit more sweetness in this. Absolutely. And that's because the, the sugar concentration, uh, since, since you get a harsher climate, You get very, very low temperatures, below zero, so you definitely make this plant suffer. They concentrate their sugars in a very unique way. When you distill it, years are low, but what you get, it's a very, very sweet. And what you get in the nose, uh, you'll be surprised how, how sweeter it is on the mouth. We went from 45 on the desierto or desert uh, version to 47.5% alcohol in, in the Sierra. So what you should feel, you probably expect, Diego, a harsher uh, dram, but it's in fact uh, sweeter, like uh, Albert pointed out, and it's smoother in my taste. In my palate, it feels... Uh, greener, like you say, greener. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, 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 very, very, very green. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, of, of the forest, you know, the, the kind of scents you get in the forest. Yeah. Pine cones and stuff, yeah. I really like this one. If I had to choose one bottle, I think I would, I would go for this era this time. I would go for the first one. Interesting. I, I, th this is what I like. Yeah. This is what I like. <laughs> I like both. They're for real. They're both Sergio. They're really, really good, man. I promise. I'm not saying this because you're on the show. I don't need to say this. You know, they're really good. Both of them. I Thank you, Diego. We appreciate it. This is why we uh, are in the industry. Just like I mentioned, where Isaac was gone, I'm sure he jumped into, into the industry because he wants to absolutely, you know, showcase this in a in a better way. Absolutely. It's the labels we have seen and the quality we have seen for decades. It's not what you can taste in Huawei, so... I can imagine. We have to do another episode, Isaac. Once we have our hands on one of your bottles, we're going to do yeah, another tasting, a good idea. for sure. I, <laughs> I have a question. Do you know the annual production for Sotol? And then we're going to enter a touchy area, but later. <laughs> How many liters are produced? More or less. If you guys don't know, don't worry, but more or less. I have data. Let's see. Uh, on the presentation, I had something on this. Let me Let me try to find it for you. If you have something, uh, Isaac, I'll look it for it real quick. It's a gig number, you know, it, it's not important, but more or less to compare it with other industries. So it's very low compared to, to what obviously what you could, would find in tequila and, and mezcal. Uh, we entered the industry with a thousand liter production for this year, which is very little. And then obviously you have medium type producers like, like Florida del Desierto and... Uh, Hacienda Chihuahua, which is like the Coca-Cola of Sotol, I heard that they made anywhere from 20 to 30,000 liters a month. And I don't know if uh, that's a, a number that Sergio thinks is, is viable for such a small industry. But if you think about it, that, that's very little. It is little. It is little. Okay. So maybe uh, half a million liters. Well, I have data here from 1920. Uh, monthly total production was 300,000 liters, 1920. 1928, total production, 
uh, at least in, in Mexico, outside Chihuahua, because it's easy to find where they're produced, but outside Madera, outside Aldama, outside Casas Grandes, it's kind of hard to, to find. Uh, you have to go to specialty stores or, or very particular uh, liquor stores. But I can think of at least 10 brands that are commercially available already somewhere in Mexico, if not in Mexico City, at least outside of Chihuahua, like I said. How many would you think, Isaac, are, are currently, uh, how many brands are currently in the market? About the same, 10 or 15 that are commercially available, about the same. So if you think of it, Diego, um, there's a lot of production that goes to flavored Sotol. So you make pecan uh, nut cream out of it, okay. uh, crema de nuez. You make a piñon, which is the, the pine nut, you know, that's very, very uh, creamy flavor. You also make a crema de piñon or, or pine nut cream. They're very tasty, like after dinner kind of drink, just like a digestive. It gives you a very, very uh, creamy, creamy flavor. So big part of the production goes to flavored sotols. Okay. And they flavored it with all sorts of things you can think of. Lime, uh, apple, you know, mainly the, the local products. But outside of that uh, production that goes uh, into the bulk, I would say maybe you can think of 3,000 liters a year per producer. Small. Because none of our producers in Chihuahua are, are fairly large, other than Hacienda de Chihuahua, which is the, uh, the category opener maybe. But they've been around for more than 25 years. And they're focusing on a more semi-industrial uh, product. And they age a lot, right? They do a lot of reposados and anejos and, and, and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they aim for the age uh, category. It's an interesting uh, story as well because they have been pretty much in contact with the States. And, you know, in the United States, they love uh, things that have been aged uh, for long. So the darker the spirit, the better. And they really went for that at first. So, yes, they have a very, very large stock of different labels, but they're all are aged forever in different category. Mm -hmm. Your brands have, I mean, you have different products, but do you have different producers for the same product or is this one producer? How do you work with that? We don't work with another producer. We only work with one, which is a sixth generation producer. They were actually the first Total brand that was able to export into the United States and they're in Janos. Uh, we know that other uh, brands do work with several producers, um, but we only work with one. But I know that uh, Sergio and, and Jesus work with several producers. Okay. And what I understand from Agave is that there are uh, maestros in certain villages and, and basically almost all the production stays within the village because it's used for celebration. So it's part of the social life. Is there similarities in with Sotol that you have ma maestros that are really not known to any public but known in their communities? Yes, uh, absolutely. They're kind of a local rock star uh, <laughs> because... When you spend a, a season with them distilling, it's very fun to see what kind of people, what profile uh, are their, their customers. Because you can get all the way from, from a, you know, all grandma bringing them fresh butter, training it for a bottle of Sotol, all the way to uh, Kurab cops bringing them, you know, other stuff in, in exchange as well. So you can see all sorts of people, but they're all beloved by the community because they represent something that sometimes helps them get away from, from reality, sometimes help them connect. You know, it all depends. If you go to the communities, the, the Taromara communities, they use it to, to get in touch with their, with their uh, gods. So it all depends the, the approach you want to give it. Mm. I would like to, to enter the touchy subject. And I may, maybe it's not touching in the Sotol industry, but is there a council? And is the council really functional? Because in Mexico, things tend to, to be tricky. 
I think that we, we, we're still young. I don't know what exact things, but uh, we, as, as a denomination of origin, we're, we're pretty young. And if you see the struggle that uh, we have seen with the tequila industry and the mezcal industry that have been around for way longer, yeah. and they're making this kind of mistakes, I think we're taking baby steps uh, in comparison to these two industries. And we're taking uh, steps towards quality, which I think uh, it's very important. Because right now it's like it's like, uh, and I mentioned maybe 10, 15 producers that are aiming for quality, yeah. but tomorrow it's going to be 30 and so on until we make a category of, it, of its own on qualities at all. Uh, you know, not focus on industrial products, but focus on, on artisanal products. So every now and then you get different facts, you get different laws, different taxes. So you get different consults. Uh, we don't have a regulating consult, but we do have a organization that puts us uh, get us all together and, and help us walk in the in the same direction uh, hopefully as hard as, as that is just just like you uh, anticipate it's very hard because everyone's aiming for different things some people want to export some people don't want to export some people want to make it uh, super allocated some people want to make it available everywhere so it's kind of hard but uh, so far we've seen two different councils. And I think the best thing we have gotten out of them is uh, at least uh, three or four new stable producers that are already commercially available in Mexico. So I think other than that, we cannot yet talk about uh, regulation and supervision on the production uh, techniques. But yes, we can already start to talk about a category that stands apart from Raicilla, Mezcal, Tequila, Bacanora, Comiteco, Porsche and everything you can think of as far as uh, Mexican craft spirits go. I'm sure we're, we're the one that can gather the most quality products if, if you think uh, of it in comparison okay. to how many players are in there. That must be a very interesting time because you can now really shape the future of this product because it's so young, so nothing is contaminated, is, is fixed yeah. yet uh, in a way. Exactly. Uh, good efforts have been made with the uh, local um, universities and already... Uh, Sustainable programs are on its way, but like I said, we cannot talk about something that's going to be long-term because right now, you know, the political status in Mexico is very unstable. This type of industries are not your main focus in, in the Mexican government, probably. Just like the wine industry, we're suffering uh, from probably lack of attention from them, but, you know, it takes time. So first, we got to get the council uh, all together and, and make a regulating council. And after that, we will, we will have to go through a couple decades of trouble, just like La Comercan and the Consejo Regulador del Mezcal has gone through. And then maybe we can, and only maybe we can, we can achieve an agreement and, and, and walk in the same direction. But like I said, if you think of how many players are, are out there in Chihuahua exposing the products already, and you think of how many quality products you, you can find, I think uh, we're the state that's that's putting out there the best quality. I think it's interesting that it's so small and so young. I'm not saying that in any way that the prohibition was positive, but the fact that it was prohibited and that it was really dissembled as an industry gives you nowadays a different angle of facing the reborn, you know, this rebirth of the industry because there are so few producers and you can construct everything from nothing, which is a privilege, in my opinion, you know, because you already have all this ancestral tradition and knowledge and blah 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 the important things but on the other side it's not so contaminated with a lot of trash 
which comes from the industrialization of the world, which comes from the 80s, 90s. So, and now you have all the traditions of the ancestrality, but the industry is small and it's just being born. So that could be interesting for the industry. Also, of course, the players that are right now intervening in this process play a super important role to see if this goes in the right direction or if it goes in a shed hole, you know. But it's an interesting situation, the Sotol situation today. I think it's something that at least gives us hope because we have seen so many mistakes on the other Mexican craft spirits industries that, I don't know, you can just not give all these products the, the respect they, they deserve. You know, sometimes people drink it like it's like it's water. Yeah. You're talking about a sometimes 51, 52% um, alcohol volume by volume. So uh, you, you got to understand you're drinking something, you know, that's, that's not your typical rum, not your typical whatever you're, you're used to drink. So you got to give some respecting to just putting aside 30 seconds to acknowledge that sip and see what you can find in the nose and if you like it. Besides uh, respect and besides all the uh, uh, preservation of, of traditions and stuff, what really matters is that when you when you have it on a on a glass in front of you, it, it, it delivers. So you mentioned sustainability. Uh, it's probably to both of you, Sergio and, and Isaac. You said it could happen at some point that you have to use only fifty one percent because there is no more plants. So yeah. So my actually, it's two questions: Are there sustainability programs? Are there places to try to I mean, I don't know, domesticate the plants or control the plants, or is it even not possible because the plants itself are so wild and you, they cannot be domesticated and you only can find them outside? Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yes, it's a, it's a loaded question, as they say, right? <laughs> it's a very complex question. So there is currently no commercial farms or property where they're cultivating the, on a commercially large-scale production. Not that I know of. Oh, there was a drunk driver that actually hit the telephone pole here in, in the neighborhood. No. We lost signal. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, there's no commercially available farms as of yet that I know of on a massive scale. And as you were stating, Albert, the plant is very wild, so it's been very difficult to domesticate. So that's a challenge basically for... Uh, the next years, the years to come. The watch, the university here in the state is working on some experimental uh, yield or field. Uh, as far as I know, there's no commercially available. And if the industry explodes, as we foresee that it will happen, it will be an issue. Okay. There's a current program that uh, is focusing agriculture in Chihuahua and five different products, the five main crops. And they want to make Sotol one of these five because it uses, uh, it, it requires up to uh, 60% less water. If you compare it to pecan nuts or to apples, that are uh, the other crops that uh, that we get in Chihuahua. Yeah. So there are different programs to plant it, mostly for fiber purposes. But like Isaac mentioned, um, the, the efforts that are made with the universities are, are mainly for the, the studying of the plants and classifications and try to understand better the reproduction method. Because the planet kind of clones itself, uh, once it shoots the guillotine and sends the, the seeds uh, to the sides, it kind of grows a couple of uh, baby sotols, and then this plants will toss the old one. Like I said, Chihuahua being the largest state, you can find a lot of sotols still, but of course it's a, it's a main objective. Whenever we get the, the, the council regulating to make sure we're not cutting the, the wrong plants or cutting them too young before uh, they, they get to clone them themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, should we talk about territory? I, I mean, I have one more question because uh, you said the desert spoon is also um, common in Texas or in other countries and in other in other counties. So um, if somebody in Texas makes sotol or distills desert spoon, what do you think about these guys? Is it something that you applaud or do you say, no, this is not your culture? How, how do you feel about this? I feel very jealous about it. I don't know how Sergio feels about it. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. It feels like cultural appropriation. It's not part of their tradition or their legacy. Not so much in, in Durango. And obviously, as, as Mezcal continues to, to explode around the world, they have the, the availability of both deals of Mezcal and Sotol. Uh, so they're the only state that has that. Durango. Yes, Durango. But for Chihuahua, it is part of, of our culture. It's part of who we are, our essence. And I feel like, uh, you know, the, these people that are making the Texas Sotol, just like anything, I had the ability to go to, the, to their tasting room in Austin. They're in Austin, Texas. And just like everything that the gringos do, right? It's humongous. It's industrial. It's very well. It's, it's a beautiful facility, but uh, they could be doing other things, right? Uh, so I do not feel as open to inviting them to be part of our cultural heritage. Unfortunately, so the, uh, the protection was not included in the new trade deal that uh, Canada, the U.S., and Mexico signed. Obviously, tequila and mezcal were, and I believe I see and Bacanora, but so it wasn't. That's a mistake. So it's, okay. it's something that's uh, hindering the industry. Okay. Uh, That's how I feel about that. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to see the Eiffel Tower, you don't want to see the ripoff in Las Vegas. You want to go to Paris, right? So Correct. <laughs> There you go. There you go. You got it right. If, if, you, if you have so many names in the world, why would you like to call your product tequila or mezcal or sotol if it's not made within the deal? Why would you call your champagne champagne if it's not? It's, it's just something plain and simple, but... Uh, The, the way I see it, just like it's uh, mentioned, they want to cling from this hype, you know, and, and to, to create a hype for a product that it's not really that product, the, the one that they are branding, and they can call it whatever they want. Why, why call it something that's protected by law? Exactly to prevent what's happening, right? Uh, at the end of the day, if you think of it, it's, it's all politics. It's, it's something that's, you know, way, way back beyond borders where we're drawn. So yes, we have local ethnies that, that share knowledge and product and maybe commercially traded stuff. So yeah, it's good. But if we are the ones that protected the region, why would you like to join with a, with a very different product that in the first place comes from a different kind of plant as well? Yeah. I think the point of cultural appropriation is uh, I can connect with that because I mean, I'm not Mexican. These spirits for me are are something that is not from my culture but I can I can appreciate them. I like to talk about the spirits. So I can again I can appreciate it but it's not my culture but I can enjoy that culture. That's what I can do and I can respect it. I don't think I should have my own uh, Sotol or or Mezcal brand because I don't think that doesn't sound right to me in 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 a way. Doesn't make yeah, sense. Exactly, right? exactly. I agree Albert. Uh, we appreciate that you guys enjoyed it. I mean it's something that we make with so much effort and Sometimes it's so hard to uh, even bring it out of Chihuahua due to distance. I mean, uh, we're as far as, as, as we can be. So, uh, yeah, to, to, to get it there and, and, and the fact that you guys were able to, to get a hold of the bottles, uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Diego. Thank you, Albert. 
Thank you, thank guys. Thank you, guys. Also, Albert, we shouldn't forget to thank Class. Class, thank you very much, man. You sent us the samples, and that was amazing because we had this little connection during the show with all the way down to Chihuahua, you know, or Mexico City in this case, but uh, <laughs> connection. The plane stopped in Chihuahua for, for a second and then went to Mexico City. Yeah. Thank you, Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, Salud. guys. Salud, Thank you, guys, for this wonderful show. Yeah, we learned a lot. Uh, a lot. We came from maybe two, and now we're maybe on, on, on three out of a hundred. This we could absorb was very, very interesting. Thank you, guys. We hope we can do something else uh, in the near future. Isaac, we need to try your product. We didn't tonight, so... Absolutely. Yeah, so maybe next... It's a good excuse, Isaac, to, to go bring it yourself. <laughs> we will. To come to Berlin. There you go. It is, it is. <laughs> Maybe next time I'm in Mexico, I can write you down, Isaac, and get a couple of samples to do another show and talk more about Sotol because uh, we have also gotten some comments on other shows of Sotol, which is for such a small category, it's really a boom right now, you know? People asking, hey, are you doing another show on Sotol? What about Sotol? And it's like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll do another show on Sotol, man. It's yeah, hopefully once this uh, COVID crap's gone, um, Albert, Diego, we can we can all uh, come together, <clears throat> join forces with Isaac and go visit the, the Vinatas. That would, that would be, be wonderful. Cool. Yeah, that would be super cool. If our listeners want to reach you guys, how can they do that? Is it Facebook, Instagram? What what is the best way to reach out to you guys? Or Flor del Desierto is Instagram. Uh, we're we're also in Facebook, but uh, we we're much quicker in Instagram. Flor del Desierto, Sotol, Flor del Desierto. What about you, Isaac? The same thing. Uh, Sotol Casamontes Facebook and Sotol Casamontes on uh, Instagram as well. And uh, it, it's usually the best way to, to get in contact with us uh, through Instagram is, is how we respond a little quicker. Great. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Diego and me, you can also do that on Instagram at Elixir Podcasts. On Facebook, we are at Elixir of the Gods. Uh, on Twitter, we are also at Elixir Podcast. And if you want to write us an email, you can reach us under Elixir of the Gods Podcast at gmail.com. Or you just find our site and look for Elixir of the Gods Podcast uh, in Google and, and you will find us there. So thank you guys so much for your time. We had a bit of technical problems. So if you hear some funky sound effects, they are not from, from my editing <laughs> desks. They are from the connection. But it's the content that counts. And I think that was uh, very good and very, uh, very enlightening. So thank, thank you, you very thank much, you very guys. Much. Have a wonderful weekend, both of you guys. Albert, Diego, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Zach, for making it happen. Thank you, Albert and Diego. And, and cheers to the weekend. Have a, have a toast with Sotol. Cheers. cheers to the weekend, boys. <laughs>